Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. I'm Monica Marquez, your host for today's episode. Maha Dockhill, the powerhouse behind Hollywood's beloved talents like Tom Cruise, Reese Witherspoon, and Natalie Portman, knows the secrets to striking game-changing deals. Her journey began when she courageously chose the entertainment industry over law school, despite her immigrant parents' concerns. Maha's determination to succeed in Hollywood proved fruitful, paving her way to triumph. Raised with sisters, Maha learned early on the power of female leadership. She carved her unique path in the entertainment world, undeterred by the lack of diversity she encountered. Embracing every opportunity, Maha's passion for empowering storytellers and productions has driven her to excel as an agent. In this insightful podcast, Maha reveals how her fearless nature and unwavering resilience allow her to thrive. She candidly discusses embracing confrontation, standing up for clients, and balancing victories with setbacks. Maha shares the importance of remaining composed amid challenges and imparts invaluable wisdom from her transformative journey. Visit GoBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Maha. Welcome, Maha. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you on here. And I'm ready to dive right in. There's so much rich, I guess, uh, experiences and journeys that you've had that I want to be able to um, share with every individual of, you know, who is Maha and how did you find yourself, you know, in the role that you play right now? Um, you know, really thinking about even some of the accomplishments that you've had in, in the past where, you know, you've been named one of the 50 most powerful women in Hollywood. You have all of these amazing clients, but it's also an industry that's very male dominated and can be seen as being a very tough industry to be successful in. So would love to dive in and just ask you to start with, you know, how did your journey begin? What's your story and how did you land where you are today? Uh, it's such a pleasure to to be having this conversation with you. Thank you so much for for having me um, on your podcast. I really mm -hmm. appreciate the the space and time with you. Um, how did I find myself? It's a really good question because part of me wants to say I have no idea. <laughs> um, but I do obviously. Um, I do obviously have um, a good memory of, of of how it all came to be but um i i guess i would start with a very universal story of being a daughter of immigrants my parents mm -hmm. immigrated um to los angeles from libya mm -hmm. one of four kids three girls and a younger brother mm -hmm. uh, i mentioned that because having the sisterhood of my sisters and um lording over our little brother set us up <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> set us up, all of us up properly for for the dynamics and um, balancing gender out in in the world. Mm -hmm. um, 
my parents were very traditional, like many immigrants. Um, mm-hmm. They were extremely conservative and fearful of what our future would be in this country without mm-hmm. a solid education, without um, conservative um planned safe programs to to uh, ensure our success and that is not what the film business is about at all mm-hmm. and it's not what the entertainment business is about at, at large and I found myself constantly being pulled gravitationally toward this business though mm-hmm. I did not have any path toward to it I didn't have any connection I didn't have an uncle or a cousin or anyone I could call or even a, mm-hmm. a friend of, of the family I didn't I didn't um, even though I grew up in Los Angeles, I couldn't have been further away from from show business because my perspective was based on the immigrant, you know, upbringing. And I was very respectful of my parents and wanted to honor their sacrifices for us and wasn't necessarily determined to come into this mm-hmm. field at an early age and, and knew it all along. I, I thought it was something that was out of reach. But my passion and my interest just kept guiding me. And when I was in college at UCLA, I took film classes. And though I was telling myself I was going to law school, I just kept taking the classes and having the experiences I I truly desired, which was, you know, interning at studios, I interned at the Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And when it came time to really sit down and buckle down for law school, I couldn't do it. Because mm. my heart really wasn't in it, and I broke the news to my my parents, and they were, um, I would like to say, they were entirely supportive and thrilled, but they were really petrified by my decision. Um, and they uh, they wanted so much for me, and they did not believe this industry would hold hold me and hold mm-hmm. all my ambitions and or make room for me because there wasn't anyone especially at that time that looked like me or came from my background that they could point to and say, well, that person made it. She's going to make it too. I had to, um, to sort of forge my own, my own way into it. And from there, it was a lot of being knocked around this Mm. very um, haphazard business looking for opportunity wherever it, it could come. And that's how it, it really started. It started with me being honest about my passion and declaring it. And then, really trying to come up with a a, a, a path and finding um, any opportunity I could and maximizing it coming out of UCLA. That's so, I mean, insightful and powerful in terms of you identifying that passion, right? Like, and, and being courageous enough to realize law school can't do it. My heart and my passions are elsewhere and being honest with yourself. And you talk about going into an industry where there weren't, there wasn't anybody that looked like you. Um, how did you like, how did you identify and forge, you know, influential relationships or how did you identify people to, you know, help you, you know, kind of establish yourself? Was there any particular person who you identify as like a mentor sponsor who took you under their wing? How did that happen for you? You know, I very much was seeking mentorship right from the beginning and it was mm-hmm. very very difficult to find it wasn't it wasn't really set up in any kind of easy way and i mm-hmm. certainly i think probably looked for it um in the wrong 
places because mm. it wasn't available or obvious. I will say that my now husband became a very early friend of mine in my career and mm-hmm. saw something in me. And he was further along than I was. He had a very steady uh, path. He was um, working for a, an executive, a studio executive, which was mm-hmm. a very crowded job. And we became friends. And he really did shepherd. Um, we were only a year apart, but he was just mm-hmm. further along in his ascent and um mastery of what to do in the business and um and he was quite he was he was very good at discovering talent he still is and (laughs) and this is far precedes our marriage but he really did see something in me and Mm -hmm. he as a black man also could see my otherness and understand why it wasn't a straightforward path and was an extremely supportive um cheerleader of mine Mm -hmm. in, in the my early days of my twenties and, um, and he constantly would introduce me to, you know, any connection he made because they were more readily available to him at, in, at his stature as an assistant to a studio, mm-hmm. uh, to a studio executive. And I was, I mean, what I would say I'm just most disadvantaged by is I didn't have a clarity on, I absolutely want to be a producer. I absolutely want to be a studio executive. The funny thing was, is I was mm-hmm. quite certain I didn't want to be an agent. I didn't uh-huh. look at the agencies. And when I think back to my to that, I think it's because my perception mm-hmm. of the agency business was formed by what was being projected, mm-hmm. which was a very white male-dominated institution that seemed to propagate a flamboyance of materialism in a way that I didn't really resonate for me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be closer to storytellers and to production, or at least that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, what I did happily discover because I accidentally came into the agency business through Mm -hmm. um, a meeting I took with an agent and I'll get, I'll get to him, but yeah, is that the agency world is actually quite creative and it Mm -hmm. was, uh, and quite powerful and influential in the sense that being close, you couldn't be closer to storytellers and being the person who advocates for storytellers, who, who sits nearest to them and hears out all their dreams or anxieties, um, their uh, vision of the future, and then helping to be a co-architect of mm-hmm. that and, and helping to navigate so that their vision can actually come to fruition. Nothing is more um, uh, satisfying and fulfilling and truly delightful than, than making the dreams of artists come true. And that just wasn't what I was understanding of, of the um, mm-hmm. agency route. Until, you know, I, I sort of accidentally fell into it and <laughs> really fell in love with it. My mentor was a man who had left uh, William Morris. His name was mm-hmm. Cohen. He recently passed away mm-hmm. um, this, this, a few months ago. And he was a very unlikely mentor for me. I mm-hmm. imagined my mentor would be, you know, a strong woman who would say, you know, I'm taking you under my wing. And that never really happened. And and it happened with this with this man, um, this incredible person who uh was very loud, <laughs> very agent-y, uh-huh. 
Um, very funny. And what we shared was he was extremely passionate and protective of people. You know, agents, mm-hmm. really great agents are protective. And he had that that nature to him. That if you came close to being in the in 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 the way of one of his clients, he was going to put his body in between you <laughs> and his client and make and make you pay. <laughs> Mm. And I think that's my Libyan side, my family, my family <laughs> right. side is, is there's a tribal uh, tribalism that is really compatible with being um, an agent, mm. being a team player, and then also um, being a protector and um, and and leading a, a situation or negotiation, which I um, I naturally resonated with. So anyway, I met him as a general meeting, and he actually is the one who identified that I could be an agent and and we started um, working together. I, at that point, was so tired of assistant jobs that were dead-end jobs for people that I felt extremely uninspired by. Mm-hmm. And in my day, people did not get up and quit jobs. You you just relished an opportunity. You were grateful for it and you worked your way up. Mm-hmm. And I had this sort of pre-millennial attitude because <laughs> there were no millennials to support right. me. Right. <laughs> generation. Um, I, they, they skipped me or I skipped them, but I really felt like if I couldn't be inspired and I was giving up so much, you know, including Mm -hmm. my parents' approval, which was a big deal. I wanted every minute to count. And if it didn't Mm -hmm. feel connected to what I was doing, and I'm still very much like this, I couldn't do it if it wasn't, um, wasn't, uh, authentic to, to me. And that was hard to find in a business, like I said, that didn't really have Mm -hmm. me in it. And mm-hmm. so, therefore, I quit a lot of jobs. <laughs> I remember one person saying to me who did really care about me and I worked for him and he looked at me and said, you know, you're like a plug with no outlet. You do, mm-hmm. you have all the spark, but you don't have the where to go. And that image of myself resonated with me for a very long time. And I kept, just kept looking for my, for my outlet. And mm-hmm. um, I did not expect it to be in the agency world, but because of this person's belief in me, and I think that's so much of it. It's like, we don't really know what we want to do all the time. Mm-hmm. It's important for, to, to keep our eyes open, our minds flexible to see what, what we can offer and what is resonating. And mm-hmm. without me even realizing it, um, Lee Cohen identified me as an agent, brought me in. At that point, I was going to go to graduate school and give up on Hollywood for the for the moment, not for the mm-hmm. long term, but for at least a couple years. And he gave me an opportunity to be a coordinator at, at the agency, a very small agency that he was running the motion picture department mm-hmm. of. And, um, and he promoted me after six months, which is an, a record time for an agent. It was a small agency. There, there was a lot of flexibility. But mm-hmm. then from that moment on, I really didn't look back. I knew after a couple of years at the smaller place that I was outgrowing it. And so mm-hmm. did he. And that's what a great mentor knows. Right. And he looked at me and said, I think it's time for you to fly and, and go even further. And you, I'm telling you, I worked at a big agency. You are a big agency material. And you mm. should, I had a very, uh, I had a very anti-establishment kind of outlook on things. And I thought mm-hmm. agencies are the establishment. I don't think I belong there and I don't think I would belong there. Mm-hmm. And that, again, those were my, um, my incorrect perceptions of, of the agency world. But he was very right that in order to to realize my bigger dreams and the kinds of artists I really wanted to work with and be of service to, I would need to be somewhere 
else. And our agency was bought by um, another agency, a mid-sized agency called Paradigm. And they were nice enough to let me out of my contract. I didn't have a job though, which was <laughs> unheard of to, to leave a job mm-hmm. or no job. And I, um, I had my sight set on CAA. I, mm-hmm. I knew CAA was the best and I thought I was really good as well. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to learn at the highest, highest levels. And part of me sure thought maybe this won't work out, but if I'm going to try, I want to take the biggest swing possible. And at that time in particular, CA wasn't hiring a lot of people from the outside. Mm-hmm. So I, um, you know, despite my my vision for going to CAA, it mm-hmm. was it wasn't a given. But there was a wonderful woman here. She's still amazingly um, amazing and amazingly here. Risa Gertner, who ran the literary department here, the motion picture literary department. She met with me. And she was extremely professional and very quick and quickly moved me on to the next two people who would need to be part of the decision and and hired me. And I that was 19 years ago. Wow. What a fascinating, just beautiful story. And a, such a blessing to have a mentor that that really kind of identified that that superpower that you had and helped cultivate it for you. Now, you and- mentioned... Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I was say, he, he, like, I, I wish you could see me and him standing together. There's, we, we, we should have had nothing to do with one. Exactly. Um, and he was a creative person who, who saw things out of the box. I can't say that a big agency would have taken me at that point in the mm-hmm. typical traditional mailrooms. It required someone who was an out of the box thinker um, and a visionary to see what I had to offer and to not be threatened by it because a, a lot of the rooms I was in as a young person, I was extremely self-possessed and very clear on what I wanted. And I never diminished myself. And I learned the hard way that, that people found that intimidating and off-putting. Mm. And I love what you just said, though, that the the comparison, right, of we, you may have been looking in the wrong places and it was just kind of like this individual that you thought is complete opposite would never be the person who really took you under their wing is really the person who, who was the one to kind of show you the way. And you mentioned a little bit around whether it was naivete in terms of like you, you know, being very confident in yourself, which I think is a gift because I, what we learn and we hear about a lot with the women that we work with is that there's a lot of limiting beliefs and self-doubt and, you know, and we all have it, but how did you, how did you navigate that or manage that for yourself? Especially like you said, in a very white male dominated, you know, very, um, you know, just, I like to say kind of machismo kind of environment that you were able to stand up, stand out and really push for what you believed in. Like, how did you, how did you manage that on a day-to-day basis? Can you recall a time where, you know, you didn't know that you were going to be able to step forward um, with the courage? I think I had more courage than knowledge. Mm. I let, I let, <laughs> my mom would say, tease me all the time and all of us, why are so, you know, she would tease our confidence. Um, uh-huh. She built our confidence. Uh-huh. And, and so did my dad. My father, one of the reasons I think they were so nervous about us going in or me going into the entertainment business or, you know, all of us shying away from traditional paths was um, because they had instilled so much integrity and knowledge and information, and education and confidence. I mean, my dad in particular was very clear on our value. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's because he was preparing us for a world that may tell us we are not of value mm-hmm. as women or not of value as Muslim women, mm-hmm. um, as, as you know, daughters of immigrants, that we may not be on equal footing. And he was very clear that we should know our value. And so it was inherent since I was quite little. It wasn't something I had to think about. It was instilled in me by them. It's funny that they were so nervous on the other right. The tools that they gave us, um, that they gave their, their us, their kids, are what have allowed all of us to persevere and to push and, and walk into um, very unknown directions um, because they gave us the confidence to, to do it. And because mm-hmm. I had no fallback, I had to be right. Mm. I didn't have uh, another option other than succeed. And I believed I was a value. And I believed that I was uh, worthy. And I know that that's a hard thing to just impart to someone who may not feel that way about themselves. But Mm -hmm. I would suggest adopting that attitude until you feel it. Because Mm -hmm. once you step into that feeling and you authentically own it and walk with it, the world unfolds around you accordingly. Mm-hmm. I can't say that was quick and easy for me. As I, I mentioned earlier in this conversation, it was, I wasn't getting a lot of reinforcement. I was mm-hmm. actually getting a lot of the doors. The thing Push about back. Hollywood. Yeah. And the thing about Hollywood is no one actually ever really tells you why. No one mm-hmm. says, because you were too confident in that interview or you weren't. No one says, it, it's, it, it always felt like in those days, and I, I try to steer away from this and give people really direct feedback in my position managerially or as a leader here, but I, um, I never knew why. And that was the most frustrating part is I'm a, I'm a direct, transparent person. I want to know. I want feedback. I want to know what I can adjust. And it always felt like, well, you just didn't quite fit my image of what I expect or want out of this mm-hmm. particular role. It felt personal, mm-hmm. but I couldn't put my finger on it. So you 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 don't know because you don't have criteria. It's not like you failed this test and aced mm-hmm. another one. And um, so all you have is your own image of yourself, your own mm-hmm. belief in yourself to carry you through the next day. I admire actors so much. I represent a few of them because they they live on that. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they live in a, in, in a state of uncertainty and they have got to believe that they have the talent mm-hmm. and to, and, and be able to persevere and withstand rejection and still pursue their dream, um, without reinforcement. And, right. you know, that, that is what it felt like to me in my twenties. My twenties were very, very hard because I didn't have a, you were confident in yourself and here's your reward. It was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was the opposite. So I had to persevere and mm-hmm. fully believe that there would be an opening um, despite all the challenges. Mm. You made a really important comment that, you know, um, you loved feedback, but you weren't getting the feedback and no one would ever tell you like they weren't just divulging it and saying, here's what you did wrong or here's what you should do better. How did you go about figuring all of that out of like what you did wrong so that you could course correct in the future? Was that more kind of the conviction of just digging or just, you know, trial and error? Well, you could really pick yourself apart if you don't have actual feedback. And that's mm-hmm. a negative mindset to um, right. allow yourself to, to go. And I, I would say I didn't get feedback until I had 
jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. And even some of them, some people are good at giving feedback and some are not. This particular man that I mentioned was 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 good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't always agree with his feedback because we he and I actually, like I said, we're very opposite in yeah. in, in our approaches. Um, but he did he 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 was an extremely good guide. And I would say the woman I mentioned, Risa Gertner, she's mm-hmm. an excellent manager. And when I came to CAA, you know, she would sit with me weekly and really give me very specific notes on how um, Mm -hmm. she felt I was doing. And because I wasn't accustomed to that level of detail, that also took some adjustment. It is hard to take feedback when you're not used to it and to not take it personally and to understand that the person who's who's giving you feedback cares about you. Yes. They care about you. They want you to do better. People do not give feedback to people they don't care about. They don't Mm -hmm. give feedback to someone they don't think can do better. And I appreciated that from her so much. Um, And and I'm the kind of person that if I don't get an A plus, I feel like I failed. So it was hard to take, Mm -hmm. you know, any kind Mm -hmm. of critique. But I um, I did. I would course correct and really analyze and really evaluate and think about how what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, and how it's being perceived. It's really mm-hmm. important to be aware when you're working in team cultures, how you're being perceived. Right. And at the same time, to stay true to yourself, you can't keep adjusting yourself and watering, mm-hmm. diluting yourself to perform for a structure that doesn't value you. You know, thankfully, yes. the place I'm at, I've been here 19 years. And as I said, at the top of my call, I, I can't do anything that I can't authentically do as me. So mm-hmm. this place has really been able to hold me as myself, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I love what you just said, the importance of not assimilating. Uh, you know, you can acculturate, of course, but not losing yourself and assimilating so much that you water yourself down and become something you're not. And, you know, you shared earlier, you know, and you can tell it's it's a core value of yours of, you know, that you were your parents instilled and in, in, in raised you to be aware of the systemic biases you probably are going to face and, and to be proud of who you are. And you've talked, you know, uh, uh, you know, in doing research and stuff, you've you've publicly talked about the challenges that you faced growing up as a Muslim American, as a, as a woman in the industry. And, you know, and I think, you know, it's probably driven this persona that you've developed of really promoting diversity and inclusion in the entertainment industry. Like it's become something that you can tell you're very passionate about. Can you talk a little bit about like how you're using your platform, you know, in Hollywood to kind of promote that understanding and tolerance of diverse cultures and backgrounds? It was always my dream. Um, Mm. I can't say I had it completely I didn't. I don't think I had all the language for my dream. Mm-hmm. I had the instinct. I had the dream. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the articulation for it because it didn't fully exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I myself am a, a a a, a evidence of of progress. Right. And a, I, I'm thrilled to be able to now open doors. For others, I think sometimes people who've been marginalized, I don't think they always historically have had the generosity or ability or the confidence to be able to open Mm -hmm. doors for others because it feels like scarcity 
is was part of the the plan that only one person could come through and they this has filled a a quota and I do not feel that way at all. I mm-hmm. feel so excited to share my uh, privilege, my success, my platform with others who are who are coming up. I look for mm-hmm. them everywhere, every room I'm in. Mm-hmm. I stand in the room. I look for a version of who I think I was back back mm-hmm. then, the person who wouldn't have been accepted to the mailroom, the person who didn't get the feedback or the interview or the you know got overlooked for someone's nephew, and mm-hmm. and, and I look for us. Mm-hmm. And I do my very best to help open doors. I still expect everyone to earn, to work hard, to, you know, to, to have the talent. Mm-hmm. But I certainly do dedicate a lot of attention and energy on who's in the room mm. and really constantly vocalize if I don't see that the right, you know, mm-hmm. That I've not been the right, but that that the room is inclusive enough, and it's a virtual room. I don't even mean virtual, like on Zoom. I just mean the mm-hmm. the metaphorical room of Hollywood, and I take that to who I also want to represent, and who I promote, and who I align myself with. I, I love all kinds of stories and storytellers, and mm-hmm. in the last ten years, I've gravitated more and more to diverse storytelling from international voices to um to many many women who i am so privileged to to get to represent to um all kinds of representations of communities of color and mm-hmm. including a few muslim voices as well yeah i love that and and i you know what i've noticed in just kind of following you know following you and and all of your accomplishments is that you have really touched um you know it's touched on a lot of the female driven content that we've seen you know coming across i mean uh to name a few things in the the history that i was you know working with you've worked with reese witherspoon and helping build out her production company but really thinking about like real storytelling that's actually telling some of the you know female driven challenges you know things cha- things that we have to overcome um if i'm not mistaken am i correct like the woman king you you like there's different things of of there where you've really worked on getting some of those stories out there and the perception of the strength and the power that women bring can you talk a little bit about that like how do you celebrate those accomplishments for yourself when you you know you had this dream to really disrupt the industry. And when you see some of the things, you know, in individuals that you've worked with, how does that make you feel in terms of the accomplishments? How do you celebrate that for yourself? Well, I, the amount of pride I have in the people that I work with, and they're enormous, and, you know, incomparable talents. Mm hmm. It's pretty immeasurable. So I have so much pride and, and happiness and joy, and it's really celebrating them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the talent, you know, they're the mm-hmm. ones who have the ideas, the stories, the inclinations to, um, to, to be brave enough to, to dare to make those, bring these stories to life and mm-hmm. to prove on their own instincts that there's an audience for them, despite what everyone is saying, you know, these artists that you mentioned and, and many others among them, it starts with them also believing mm-hmm. And not looking at what's on paper necessarily or what is Mm -hmm. what the world is trying to tell us 
but forging a path and finding new audiences or reconnecting with audiences who've always been there, just haven't been spoken Mm -hmm. to. So Mm -hmm. I take immeasurable pride in working with Gina and Reese and Mindy Kaling and Ava DuVernay, Natalie Portman, and so many women who who dedicate themselves, Mm -hmm. generously dedicate themselves also to this shared mission. And um, I just, I do celebrate that. I don't have a party every day because I'm very (laughs) putting out fires as much as agents want to live in the the mode of victory. There's a fire online too that has got to be put out and we're, you know, we're on that as well. Mm -hmm. But it is, it certainly inspires me to keep going and to keep Mm -hmm. working and to keep discovering and reaching out and uh, proving to our industry that the audience exists and they just Mm -hmm. need to be served and, I really encourage buyers and people who are in positions of power, green light, green lighting committees to constantly consider the audience as a whole. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results and advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's, core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. And you talked a little bit about how, you know, you have everybody like, of course, there's this perception of that, oh, it's this glamorous, you know, job in life. But like you said, there's always fires being you're having to put out. And you talked a little bit earlier of how you have to be somewhat of a protector, right, of of your clients and you're advocating for them. Can you talk a little bit about like some of these really difficult you know, conversations that you have to have on behalf of your clients, whether it's negotiating some terms for them or, you know, where you're really having to kind of um, step into, um, you know, this mindset, this powerful mindset of where, you know, you're, you're going to do right by them. Because I find that one of the things that women struggle with so much that we, that when we're working with them is this standing up for themselves having those courageous conversations, asking for what they want and negotiating and and not just kind of submitting and taking what's just given to them. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I, I, I'm not, I have a, 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 a probably an unusual uh, lack of fear about confrontation. Mm. Not, I, I take the fear out of conflict out of the conversation. And I, I'm not saying I see confrontation, but it, part right. of our job is mm-hmm. there's natural confrontations. And I don't look at them as confrontations. I think when you're mm. standing up for what's right and what's appropriate, what your client deserves in the case of negotiations, you it's about how you project it. And I project it as logical. and and try to bring the other side to the table to to see it from our perspective i don't think Mm -hmm. that you know yelling and having you know emotional conflict over over negotiations is effective Mm -hmm. 
never far apart from the uh, opposing side. I think my gift and my hope, or that's the gift that I continue to work on or skill that I want to really master is bringing people to the table Mm -hmm. and seeing the perspective in a way that is winning. And I say Mm -hmm. that because a lot of the conversations are not really just about money. They're about value. Mm-hmm. And to yes. me, my clients are invaluable. They're invaluable. Mm-hmm. You can't pay them enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I see them in that way. So it becomes personal for me because I've spent mm-hmm. enough time listening to, to their hopes and dreams and really becoming a stakeholder and believer in their mission mm-hmm. that I know how to speak of it in a way that I hope is persuasive enough to somebody who doesn't know them at all. Mm-hmm. And it's managing a budget may not be thinking of equity and balance and, you know, what's uh, what the man is getting paid versus what the woman is getting paid or mm-hmm. what they're greenlighting this year versus what they're holding back. And I try to bring an awareness to a situation that's not um, that's not off putting. So mm-hmm. I don't I'm very protective, but I'm not combative. I just right. think that's a successful way of going about. A negotiation. I think it is really incumbent on a good negotiator to see it as the art that it is, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. is bringing bringing people together as opposed to winning mm-hmm. a an, a a deal. And you know, they want the other side wants the deal. They want right, the deal, right, but they want to feel good about the how it all comes about. And if you have empathy, and I think it's a really important quality. Mm-hmm. You understand what a studio executive is concerned about mm-hmm. for themselves on a personal level, and then what they're concerned about for the studio. Mm-hmm. Understand what your client absolutely needs and wants and deserves. You can have a lot of credibility in a situation. Mm-hmm. So just bringing real empathy and understanding, and then being very tough and immovable at the right times too. It's helpful. <laughs> right, right. I love how you said you kind of remove the fear out of the confrontation and don't even see confrontation as confrontation, that it's just part of the job, right? You you have to have these conversations and, and it is what it is. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, you, you do have a very demanding job and responsibilities and your clients are, you know, significantly, you know, in demand and also in and of themselves, um, you know, probably, I would say demanding of your time too. How do you, how do you like integrate the the work, the life and really, and even the relationships? Because what I love to love to see is that you develop relationships with your clients and they, they become like family to you. How do you, how do you keep yourself sane? Well, I, first of all, don't see any of this as depleting my energy. I see it as replenishing my energy, inspiring. Mm. So I look at it like gas in my tank. I'm not saying Mm. there are hard days or hard moments or uh, situations that don't seem, you know, extremely winnable. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's challenges that, that can certainly bring anyone down, but I reconnect to the whole mission of what I'm mm. doing, why I'm doing it. And the luxury of being an agent is, as I said earlier, is you can't live too long in any victory. And you also don't have to live too long in any defeat because another mm. victory is around the corner. Right. Everyone's having 
different experiences at any one given day. And I'm living through all of them. I'm living through a range of emotions, mm-hmm. um, whether someone's just closed a big deal or someone's movie just fell apart, you know, mm-hmm. and I, so I have to keep myself balanced and sane to be able to um, adapt myself emotionally and mentally and strategically to what each situation calls for. And I think that just comes from also spending time on yourself and mm-hmm. not reacting to everything that happens, giving yourself time every week to to be alone, be quiet, mm-hmm. be away from um, the phones and the noise and even my kids. And it doesn't even have to be a long amount of time, but just a moment to reconnect and check in with myself and make sure that I'm okay and I, I have what I need to, you know, get through the current set of challenges and to understand the big picture. And if for any reason it's a particularly de- depleting moment, then I, right. I, I'm constantly checking in with myself to manage and measure that. Mm, I love that. Now, I, I can only imagine that you've probably, you probably serve as, as a bit of a advisor kind of mentor as well to to your clients and you know given that this is a very kind of tough demanding you know industry when you think about overcoming failures and setbacks for you or your clients how would you coach them or how do you manage them to get kind of like past that like you said not sitting too much in the defeat right and and in you know shifting and pivoting and being able to move forward from a failure or setback what would you say is um kind of maha's guidance of you know how do you bounce back from a setback or a failure well i believe that talent is talent Mm. and circumstances are circumstances a particular project may not have worked out or may not have had the results we had desired. Mm-hmm. The talent that brought you the success is, is there. Mm-hmm. And tapping back into that and also looking at the landscape and market forces and where we are as a culture, reconnecting your talent to the times that we're living in without being reactive to them. Because as I said, we keep saying in this, it's good to, to know how you're being perceived, but it mm-hmm. is really important to reconnect to the message you want to project out into the world and mm-hmm. then find the right mediums and uh, shifting and pivoting and adjusting as necessary. Mm-hmm. And that's something we would do strategically. And on an emotional level, I am here for my people, you mm-hmm. know, level, just like I would for anyone. It's if, 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 if a pep talk is needed to remind someone I work with how incredible they are, I am here all, all day for that because I, I believe that and that is what drew me to representing um, any, part, any one of these particular artists to, to begin with. So I look at it from an emotional perspective, and then I look at it from a business and strategic pers- perspective. How can we win again? Because I'm very, mm-hmm. very competitive, and I want my clients to succeed um, and to to be confident about themselves and the world, so that they can go up to bat again and again and again. And there's no shot that a talented person who's prolific isn't going to have setbacks. Mm-hmm. Talented, and they can modulate and adapt to you know, information and advice, they're mm-hmm. going to have another success. It's it's something I truly believe and I accept that we're not going to have, um, you know, we're not going to be 
undefeatable, but will be unstoppable. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, I just want to ask one more question before we go into lightning round. If, you know, as you reflect over the 19 years of your, you know, successful career, what would you say is your proudest accomplishment to date? Really hard to, to, to say. And the only reason it's hard to say is I'm proud of so many different accomplishments. And I mm-hmm. also can't remember most of my <laughs> There are. You do have so many. I remember I'm reading your bio and I'm like, oh my God. No, I don't mean because there's so many. I'm going back to my earlier theme of they Uh don't live long enough in the victory. They don't actually get programmed. Mm, Yes. Uh Enough because I'm I'm quickly moving on to to something else. Like there's so many moments of, of pride. You know, I always think back to putting together the movie 12 Years a Slave. Mm, with my client Steve McQueen and how much that was doubted Mm. the topic of slavery at that moment was extremely taboo on film and it actually only been told by white storytellers getting that movie together I think changed the course of uh history I really do so I'm Mm -hmm. really proud of that and I'm really proud of Steve my client who who made that film and um and we have a great friendship and partnership. So I'm particularly proud of that. I'm very proud of the women I represent. I'm really proud of what Reese Witherspoon started. She had an epiphany that has turned into a hugely successful multimedia platform because yes. of me. And I, was, I got to be there in the very early days of, of her incubating that. And I see how many doors that's opened for so many mm. other women. And I um, and I'm very proud of her. Wow, that's phenomenal. I mean, we, you know, just more power to you, you know, you definitely are, um, you know, kind of lifting others up while, you know, and it's lifting you up, right? So it's, it's, I truly believe that you're putting and you're disrupting and we're seeing the fruits of your labor and all the other individuals you partner with to do that. And so thank you for, for that. I just, you know, I was in awe of all of these things where, I've met you before. Um, my wife has met you. We know your sister well. And you it's you come across very unassuming personally. I, when I started reading more and more about all that you've accomplished, I was I was absolutely in awe. Um, and just really want to, you know, just commend you for all of the work that you've been doing, um, especially in in the diverse and the diversity and inclusion that you're bringing. So I want to dive into the lightning round questions because I feel like some of those too might give Give us some nuggets of, you know, who is Maha and uh, what makes you tick. So uh, first question is, what book has greatly influenced you? Gosh, so many different. Again, I'm I'm <laughs> lightning rounds because I can never pick one particular thing. I'm, what comes to mind right now? I guess The Alchemist is something. Mm, I yes. I that, that one. Book. Solid book. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, what is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? I don't have one particular inspiring quote or saying, but I was reading up on uh, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and watching her take mm-hmm. her moment of resignation. And I I do recall reading something that she said that I'm paraphrasing about leading with femininity mm-hmm. and softness and that you don't have to be aggressive to be strong. 
Mm. And, and I thought that was really interesting. I'm definitely paraphrasing, but it was something to do with, with that really resonated for me as a, a woman mm-hmm. that we're supposed to be like, especially her, you know, an mm-hmm. ironclad, you know, tough, aggressive uh, leader. And I think there's something to be said about knowing when to quietly lead to and to mm. be soft while also being very strong and letting people yes. That is very powerful um, in terms of, like you said, it's this the misconception that soft can be hard actually <laughs> when you need it to. Uh, I love that. What is one word or moniker that you would describe yourself with? Ooh, that's hard too, but uh, I'll go with empathy. Empathy. Yes, empathy. But I'd also call you a disruptor. I think you you are definitely paving I, my, the way. My mom would say troublemaker. I don't think she would use the word <laughs> disruptor. <laughs> and the I most positive. I don't, I don't mind troublemaker. I like it. I I'm love it. Empathetic troublemaker. Yes, there you go. What is one change, a habit, behavior, or an action that you implemented that made your life better? Being on time. Mm. I love that. I, I could probably borrow I struggle, I struggle. There's so much competing for, for mm-hmm. time. Really, I'm really trying to be on time. Mm, I love it. So here's one of my favorite ones. Um, so you are about to address a crowd, a thousand plus people, and you wa- you're walking out on stage. What is the power song that you would want playing as you stepped up onto that stage? I have a whole playlist for that uh, moving up. <laughs> Again, uh, I'm going to be generic and say uh, anything by Beyonce. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. Yes, definitely. Well, Mahai, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and, and hearing about, you know, how you've been successful, but not just, you know, in your own right, what you've done is paved the way for many others. And, um, you know, here at Beyond Barriers, we're all about, you know, moving forward faster, but together, right? Um, it's always better together and lifting each other up as well. And so I commend you for all of the amazing things that you've done and the pioneering and the disrupting you've done in the film industry and um, and bringing that much needed diversity that we are all yearning to continue to see. So thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And, uh, hope to talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend, or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at gobeyondbarriers.com, where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. Music